This morning's scriptures reading is from Mark 6, 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. And the many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy something to eat. But he answered to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them, commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the word of God. Amen. Harvest, go ahead and have a seat. The feeding of the 5,000. It's a monumental moment in the life of Jesus and in the lives of his disciples. This is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. This is something I'm sure you've all heard. Maybe you were learned in Sunday school years ago. Very famous and popular story. You know, it's interesting Psalm 23 opens with these familiar words. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, unfortunately, we in our day and age and in our culture, we don't know much about shepherds. You know, the the job description of the shepherd is somewhat lost on us today. And when you think of shepherd, perhaps you visualize something like Farmer Hoggett from the movie Babe. And if you know the movie, you know that he does tend sheep. But you see, he lives in a house, and the sheep graze on a hill across the hill surrounded by a stone fence. And that wasn't shepherding in the first century. In biblical times... Well, the shepherd practically lived with the sheep. One writer says about shepherds that a shepherd is needed only when there are no fences. He is someone who stays with the sheep at all cost, guiding, protecting, and walking with them through the fields. He's not just a person who raises sheep. In the first century, the shepherd was a lifestyle. We're coming back to our study in Mark today after taking a week off for Easter, 
Our series, just to remind you, is entitled Divine Servant, and we're in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, and in chapter 6, we began a transition away from Galilee. You know that Jesus has been teaching mainly near Galilee up until this time, and this is a slow transition, but Jesus is transitioning away from Galilee. He's focusing a lot more of his energy on his disciples, and we're going to see in the chapters to come that he will be traveling away from Galilee and teaching in other areas. Now, last time we were in Mark, you may remember we read the narrative of Herod beheading John the Baptist, but even before that, we saw Jesus empower and send out the disciples. And you might remember that. And then they went to minister to other towns. They preached the gospel. They did miracles. They cast out demons. And when we're in our text this morning, we see that the disciples have now returned from that. And they interact with Jesus. And what do we see about Jesus in our passage? We see a compassionate shepherd. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who lives with his sheep. Now, the word for compassion, the way it's used in our text, it means to have pity or feel sympathy. It literally means to be moved in one's innards. I know, that's pleasant. It actually comes from the noun splognon in Greek, which means inward part of the body, or it can even mean affection. It's a feeling of sympathy that comes from inside. That's compassion. And in our passage, Jesus shows affection or compassion first to his disciples, but then we're going to see to the crowd. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at Jesus and see how he is the compassionate shepherd. So your first point this morning from our text is this, the compassionate shepherd sees the need. The compassionate shepherd sees the need. I'm going to read, I'm going to go back to verse 30 and read. You can follow along as I read. Mark writes, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like a sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So the apostles come back from their mission. Now, we're not specifically told how long they were gone, but we can assume it's been some time, because you may remember, as Jesus was giving them instructions, he told them, when you go to a place for the night, stay there. They were to stay at people's houses for the night, so you could imagine A number of days, perhaps even a number of weeks that the disciples were gone and doing this ministry before they came back. But the term, it's interesting, this is the only time we see the word apostles in the book of Mark. He specifically uses that term apostle, and the word means delegate or envoy or messenger, and it's meant to emphasize the disciples that were sent out to do this job as an envoy, as messengers of Jesus Christ. Now, not only do they experience this mission, but this is actually a preview of what they're going to do. 
It's a preview of what we see the disciples or the apostles doing in the book of Acts. This is a taste of what their lives are going to be like. Mark calls them apostles. And the text tells us that the disciples told Jesus all they did and all they taught. And if you could imagine with me for a moment, eager, excited, giddy disciples like little children coming to tell their parents everything they did that day. That's what I picture here. They're excited to share with Jesus. This is what we did. This is what we taught. This is how we received. Maybe this is how we weren't received in this town. It's an exciting moment for them. But I want you to look at these two words, done and taught. Done and taught. All they did, all they taught. And that reminds us that the disciples were to do two things. They were to preach the gospel and they were to do miracles. And that combination of words, all they did, all they taught, that is two important elements in ministry. In ministry, there should be teaching of the truth and there should be meeting needs. Teaching of the truth and meeting needs. If we have one without the other, the ministry is incomplete. We're unbalanced. Something is not right. But they did everything they were done and everything they were taught, and that is a good principle for us to follow in ministry that it should be a combination of the truth and meeting needs. And Jesus has tender words for them. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus recognized their need for rest. Here's a good principle. Rest should follow works of ministry. Rest should follow works of ministry. Pastors and elders should seek rest after ministry. I would even go so far as to say they should schedule it. But it's not just for pastors. It's not just for elders. Small group leaders should rest after ministry. Harvest kids teachers should rest after ministry. Hospitality workers should rest after ministry. Congregants should rest after ministry. You know, we do ministry on Sunday mornings, and that's great. We should be doing ministry throughout the week. We should be having people over. We should be sending encouraging texts and phone calls. We should be witnessing. We should meet needs that come our way, and we should find time to rest. After a time of service, whether it be entertaining someone in your home, whether it be serving on Sunday morning, whether it be taking a short-term missions trip, do it. Do it well and schedule in some rest. You might say, well, what does rest look like? The word is simple enough. It means to refresh or revive, and that means different things to different people. Sometimes it means getting alone. Sometimes it means doing something you enjoy, a hobby. Sometimes it means a nap. It means different things to different people. But you know, it's not easy to get alone, is it? And if you're sitting with a family and you've got to raise a family and the needs don't stop after you minister to someone else, then it's impossible to get alone. So my encouragement would be as best as you can, rest with your family. Go do something family fun. Go to a park. Go to a movie. Go play putt-putt. I don't know. Whatever your family's into, get away after a time of ministry. Jesus recognizes the disciples' need after a time of ministry, but also, if you look at the text, it says, because many were coming and going, and they didn't have leisure even to eat. So you, that 
makes the picture a little fuller in our minds. It's not just the disciples and Jesus. Again, wherever Jesus is, there's a crowd. And there's a crowd here, and people are coming, and people are going. And the disciples' mission that they just got back from has probably stirred up the crowds even more. There may have been people who even followed the disciples as they went back to Jesus. It was busy. It was super busy. It was so busy they couldn't even stop to eat. That's how thick the needs were. That's how thick the crowd was, and Jesus wants, them, wants to get them away from the crowds. It's time to take a break. So they get to a boat. Now, the fact that they get into a boat, that suggests we're back at the Sea of Galilee. You may have noticed the text doesn't tell us where we are, but because they had access to a boat and because most of them were fishermen, it's very suggested we're back at the Sea of Galilee and they're crossing the sea and they're getting to what's called a desolate place. It's a place out away from the towns, out away from people. Well, that was the plan. They tried to get away from the crowds, but as the text says, the crowds saw them. The crowds recognized them, and it says that they beat them to the desolate place on foot. How did that happen? Some commentators even suggested, you know, they would have had to cross the Jordan River to get here. How did they beat the disciples? We're not given a reason how they beat the disciples who are taking a straight line across a lake, and they're having to walk around across the lake, but somehow the crowds got there before the disciples and before Jesus. And it says that the crowds are coming from towns. So I had this picture in my mind of this crowd moving and others are coming from other towns and the crowd's just growing bigger and bigger and bigger as they move toward this desolate place. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus was trying to give his disciples time to recoup, but that didn't happen. I just told you great principle is to rest after ministry, but let's face it, sometimes that doesn't happen. Life happens. And you think about plans here being thwarted. Think about the expectation of rest only to have that taken away. You know, perhaps the disciples were looking forward to some downtime. Maybe they were even talking about it in the boat on the way over, thinking, man, you know, when I get there, I'm going to find a shady place. I'm going to look up at the clouds. I'm just going to breathe a little bit. And the boat gets to shore, and lo and behold, people, lots and lots of people. And what is Jesus' response? He gets out of the boat, he sees the crowd that he tried to get away from, and he responds with compassion. Plans are thwarted, rest was needed, but Jesus receives the crowd with compassion. Why does he do that? The text tells us why. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now that's an important phrase. It's a phrase that's repeated several times in the Old Testament, and what it means is a lack of leadership and care. A lack of leadership and care. And perhaps it refers to the Pharisees who should have been their spiritual leaders, but were dropping the ball because all they were doing was setting up rituals that they wanted the people to follow. Sheep without a shepherd. I told you this was mentioned in the Old Testament. Numbers 27, 17 reads like this. Who shall go out before them, and who shall come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And the story behind this verse is Moses. Moses is asked the Lord to appoint a man over the congregation so that when he, Moses, is gone, Israel will not be as a sheep, as sheep without a shepherd. But you know, 1 Kings twenty two seventeen 17 also reads like this. And he said, 
I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. In this passage, the prophet Micaiah came to Ahab, the king of Israel, and basically told him, your kingship's about to end, and Israel will be left as sheep without a shepherd. Then in Ezekiel, the, the phrase isn't used here, but read, read along Ezekiel 34, 23, and 25 with me. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. In this passage, God promises to raise up a shepherd to guide the wayward flock, to feed them, to care for them. This passage in Ezekiel is prophetic of Jesus, and you can see the parallels in Ezekiel 34 in our passage today. You know, God does not like it when his people are leaderless. God does not like it when his people are leaderless. God wants people to have good, solid leaders. He does not want sheep to be without a shepherd. So I would say two things from that observation. Number one, pray to the Lord and ask him how he wants you to be a leader. And two, pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. We need it. Jesus gets out of the boat. He sees the crowd, and instead of sighing in frustration, he has compassion. Remember that word compassion is to have pity or feel sympathy. You know, we have a phrase in English that actually does justice to the Greek word for compassion. And the phrase is this, my heart went out. Think of something that happened to somebody. You see something happening and your heart goes out to them. For instance, say, I saw my daughter crying over her spilt ice cream and my heart went out to her. That's the idea. That's the idea here. Jesus saw the crowd and his heart went out to them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And we're not told what Jesus teaches here, but it is important to note that teaching is essential to the ministry of compassion. Teaching is essential to ministry. We need both these elements, teaching and meeting needs. The spiritual need and the physical need must both be met. And that's what the disciples did when they were sent out, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He saw the need. Now, it's interesting He saw the need of the crowd, but don't forget, he also saw the need of the disciples. And pay attention, because he's going to meet both needs. The compassionate shepherd sees the need. How can we imitate Jesus here? How can we also see the need? Well, I would ask, how are the people in your life like sheep without a shepherd? Let me say that another way. How are the people in your life living without the guidance of God's precious word? Let me take a step back from that, though, and let me ask this. In what areas of your life are you living as a sheep without a shepherd? How have you not submitted to God's word, God's way? How's your own heart? Are you nourishing it with the truth of God's word? Can I caution you about something? Please don't come in here once a week just to receive one spiritual meal a week. 
Do come on Sundays, absolutely, but feed yourselves throughout the week. Go to the word, the source of spiritual nourishment provided by your compassionate Savior. Do that every day and then look to others. What needs do you see in other people? Are they spiritual? Are they material? Are they both? Let's start, let's just get real practical here. Let's start with the basic unit. Let's start with the family. Where is your family spiritually starving? Are you looking to the needs of your families, husbands, fathers? Are you looking to the spiritual needs of your family? Are you reading the word for yourself? Are you reading the word with your family? Wives, mothers, are you meeting the spiritual needs of your family? Meet the needs at the family level. But don't stop there. Pray that God will open your eyes to the needs of others around you. You might think, where where do I start? Look within the church. Look within the neighborhood. Look within the classroom. Look within the workplace. Where are the needs? You know what? Let me tell you something. If you look for needs and you pray that God will show them to you, I guarantee you he will. I guarantee it. The compassionate shepherd sees the need. Here's your next point. The compassionate shepherd uses what's available. The compassionate shepherd uses what's available. Read along with me. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Okay, it's getting late. Here come the disciples with, let's be honest, a reasonable consideration. This is the disciples being very reasonable. It's getting late. The crowd is getting restless. The little ones are starting to lose their minds. They're hungry. By the way, we're still hungry. Simple solution. Send the crowd away to get food. You know, great job, Jesus. You did an awesome job of teaching again, but let's wrap this thing up. Send the crowd away. Let's get some food, and then, you know, maybe we can get that rest we were looking for. Well, the interesting thing is, that's not Jesus' agenda. He says in verse 37, you give them something to eat. That's an imperative. That's a command. You do this. And that might seem a little harsh. You know, what's he doing here? He's testing their faith. Remember, they just come back from doing miracles. Not watching Jesus do miracles. They themselves doing miracles. They'd just come back from doing things, crazy things. And they come back to Jesus, said, the crowd's hungry, you need to send them away. And Jesus says, no, you do something about it. There's a need here. What are you going to do? You give them something to eat. And I can just see the disciples' faces here. Can you see it? Huh? Oh, sure, you know, why don't we go over to this cave where we've been stashing hundreds of pounds of bread just for such an occasion? You know, they respond like this. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 
I'm thinking, we can't provide that. We don't have the money for this. A denarius, by the way, was a day's wage. What they're saying is this would take at least 200 days wages to buy enough bread for this crowd. They can't see how to meet this need here. They can't see how to feed the people. So Jesus takes the initiative. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now the disciples say, we don't have the resources to feed everyone. Jesus says, what do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Now, presumably, this was the disciples' food. Remember, they were intended to get away. They were intended to rest. They were intended to try to eat themselves. They couldn't, they couldn't have eaten before. And if, if you actually look at this meal, it's not a very big meal. These loaves, don't think sunbeam or, or wonder, Okay. You had five of those loaves, okay, that's, that's a lot of bread. But that's not what you think. These are barley loaves, which are flat and round and about eight inches in diameter. Five of those and a couple of fish, probably not like salmon, probably more average to smaller sized. The meal was meager for 12 disciples and Jesus, much less 5,000 men. But what does the compassionate shepherd do? Then he commanded them, all to sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Now you've got to wonder, what are the disciples thinking at this point? Jesus has the crowd sit, and notice they're sitting on green grass. I think that could be another one of those details that an eyewitness would have remembered. But also, it tells us approximately the time of year. It was probably springtime when the grass there in Palestine would have been green. So they sit down there on the green grass. He has them sit by groups of hundreds and fifties. And that's interesting, and it kind of makes a lot of sense. If they're sitting in groups this size, first of all, that would have made it fairly easy to count. You look out and say 150, 150, 203. You know, you could count them fairly easily, but also it's well organized. It's well organized for what Jesus is about to do. But you know what? There's something here that we miss in English. In the Greek, there's an idiom used to describe how they're sitting, and the idiom would be literally translated like this, divided into dinner parties. Divided into dinner parties. That's what Jesus is having them do. And by the way, that contrasts with Herod's party from the previous passage. Herod the Tetrarch, the false king, throws a wild party with luscious food and strong drink and feeds perhaps a few hundred people. But Jesus, the true king, he teaches first the spiritual food that man really needs, and then he takes this small amount of food, and I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'm just going to, just, going to, just going to stop right there for a minute. But do you see what he's doing? He takes what's available. Now, there's a problem, there's a need, what are we going to do about it? The compassionate shepherd takes what's available. And notice, you know, he doesn't throw up his hands when the disciple shows him this meager meal and he doesn't say, you know, what am I supposed to do with this? No, he takes the meager meal. He uses the resources available to him. Friends, it can be very tempting to think, I've got nothing to offer. We might be tempted to think, I am ill-equipped. Let, let me just take being a father, Okay. There's not a man in this room who didn't have just a little bit of panic when he saw that first child being born. When he thought to himself, I don't know what to do with this. 
And everyone in this room can identify with a feeling of being ill-equipped for some job or some ministry or some responsibility the Lord has called us to do. And we can even go so far as to, to be tempted to blame God, saying things like, you know what, I'm not wired for this. I don't have the giftings for this. I can't lead this ministry. I can't meet this need. I can't speak up for the gospel in my workplace because that's just not who I am. So my question for you would be this. Are you going to trust Jesus with whatever resources he's given you as a means to serve others or are you going to conclude that what you have is not good enough? Are you going to lay yourself and your giftedness and your resources out there as meager as they may seem to you and trust Jesus to do his thing or are you going to hang on to those out of fear? out of selfishness? Are you going to invest your God-given resources or are you going to bury them in the sand? You might think, I know what you're saying, but the need is too great. My provisions can't meet the need. I don't have much. I don't have time. I'm not superly, super spiritually gifted. I don't make a lot of money. The church is too small. It's not in the budget. We don't have the resources or it's just too hard. When Jesus is asking simply, what do you have? Will you trust me with it? Will you just be faithful? I'll handle the rest. What does he do? And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave it to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the leftovers were 5,000 men. What does he do? The compassionate shepherd multiplies the resources. That's what he does. The compassionate shepherd multiplies the resources. Notice Jesus prays and he's standing and he looks up to heaven. You ever wonder where we get the idea to bow our head? I mean, I'm not saying that's bad, but I just wonder where do we get that? Jesus stands and he looks up to heaven when he prays and he says a blessing. And we're not told exactly what Jesus says here, but he prays, he blesses the food and then he breaks it and he divides it up. And he gives the food to the disciples and they pass out the bread and the fish. And you get a sense, as you're reading the text, you get a sense that this miracle happens subtly. It's subtle. You know, the food doesn't just multiply in some kind of dramatic explosion. It's subtle. You know, I I enjoy movies. I do. I enjoy special effects. Steven Spielberg's always been one of my favorite directors. He brings a lot of special effects and dramatic things to the screen. And if he were making a movie of this scene, you might think that being Spielberg, the bread would just dramatically multiply and the fish would just explode. But that's not what happens. It's subtle. Maybe it happens something like this. The disciples take the food Jesus passes them and they bring it to one of the groups The group begins to pass it down, and the disciples go back to Jesus, and there's still more food. Okay, and they take a little bit more, and they take it to another group, and they pass, and the group starts to pass. And they go back to Jesus, and there's still more. And they take it, and they go back to another group, and they just go back and forth. And there's still more. And there's still more. 
And at one point, maybe Andrew passes Philip and says, where is this coming from? I have no idea. But it just keeps going. And how long did this take? 5,000 men. And Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew tells us there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So let's just do the math. Roughly 5,000 men. Let's just assume roughly 5,000 women. Let's assume we've got most, probably not all, but most family units here. So roughly two to three kids per family. What are we talking about? 18 to 20,000 people? How long did that take? An hour? Two? Three? The disciples just keep coming back, and there's still food, and it keeps going. It's subtle. And you know what? That's often how the Spirit works, in subtle ways. Yes, are there big, dramatic moments that the Spirit orchestrates? You better believe it. But most of the time, the Spirit just works in subtle ways, ways that we may not even pick up on. A small act of faithfulness can go a long way. We may not know the full extent of what one small act of faithfulness can do. We have no idea what the Holy Spirit might do. We're just told to be faithful. The smallest bit of encouragement, a moment of witnessing, the sharing of a Bible verse, what can God do with those things? Probably things that we can't even imagine. Finally, after who knows how much time, the text tells us, and they all ate and were satisfied. I'm going to clue you in on the Greek word for satisfied. It means satisfied. (laughs) This massive crowd ate to their full from five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a miracle. The disciples, of course, they could not see how Jesus was going to do this, but in the end, he did it. And you know what? There's something else going on here, too, that we might miss. Jesus provides bread for a crowd in a desolate place. Does that ring a bell? It should. In Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites grumble against Moses because they don't have any bread. What does God do? He rains bread down from heaven, manna. For 40 years afterward, the Israelites eat in the wilderness. God provided the food. What's happening here in Mark 6? The compassionate shepherd is showing yet again that he is divine. He's multiplying bread in a desolate place. And that should have caused every Jew in the crowd to think of manna in the wilderness. Those are the stories that they would have been told since they could hear. They should have made that connection. What is it saying about Jesus? I'm God. That's what it's saying about Jesus. Jesus, the divine servant, feeds the crowd. But not only is the crowd satisfied, look what happens next in verse 43. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. They took up how many baskets? 12. 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. They started with five loaves and two fish, which probably wouldn't have even filled one basket. And they end up with 12 baskets full. And isn't it interesting that there are 12 baskets full of food and there are 12 hungry disciples? They could have held on to their five loaves and two fish. 
They could have held on to that, but they would have been left wanting. They gave their rations to Jesus, who took it, who fed a massive crowd, and then had more than enough for the disciples. And that's the compassion of the Lord. He met the need of the people, but he didn't forget his disciples. He takes the meager resources that we have, and he uses them to minister in ways that blow our minds, but he doesn't forget about us. He doesn't forget about those who serve He makes sure his people are cared for. That's your shepherd. The compassionate shepherd, Jesus Christ. You know, God can do many things, many crazy things. When Heather and I were in college, there was a neighboring college that had a weekly ministry to college students. On Wednesday nights, college students would meet, and there was a young couple who had a heart for college-age kids, college-age students, or college-age Christians, excuse me. And that's where this ministry started. It started with this young couple in their home who met with a handful of college-age Christians who just wanted to study God's Word. And that ministry exploded. I remember one time, the parking lot of our school could not hold the cars that brought the students. It was massive. Why? Because one couple was faithful. The truth is simple. Jesus can take whatever you have, though it might seem meager to you, and he can turn it into a massive work for his glory. All it takes is faithfulness. When God's people are faithful, waters part, mountains move, crowds are fed, lives are changed. Now, a a word of warning. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here because you might think that I'm saying if you're faithful, God's gonna bring hundreds of people to your door. Don't make that mistake. He could do that, but that's in God's hands. The truth is your faithfulness may not look like great success in the eyes of humans. Remember the story I shared a few weeks ago about Dr. Livingston who served 32 years in Africa and saw one convert. Was he any less successful? Absolutely not. For Christians, success is measured in faithfulness, not numbers. But the point that I want to get across to you is this. Don't let yourself be deceived into thinking that you don't have what it takes or you are not good enough or you are not gifted in ways that can expand the kingdom. That's a lie. Be faithful. God could take whatever you have to offer and he could do things you can't even imagine. He's probably doing things right now that you can't see. He's probably using you to touch lives in ways you'll never know until you reach heaven. Don't buy the lie. Be faithful. You give them something to eat. The compassionate shepherd multiplies our resources. What is he gonna do with your meager provisions. Now, how do we do this? How do we imitate our Savior? How do, we, how do we be faithful with the resources that he's given us? The secret to that is looking to your compassionate shepherd. The secret is seeing how he has been compassionate toward you. The secret is realizing that it didn't matter if it were a crowd of 5,000 or if it were just you in need. He still would have had compassion. You were a sheep without a shepherd. 
You were wandering, lost in sin and hopeless. And the compassionate shepherd took your sin upon himself. He saw you. He saw me. He saw our wretchedness. He saw our doom. And he stepped in and took it upon himself. You know, the greatest act of compassion that Jesus ever did was when he hung on the cross and he said those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the more we lean into that, the more that we understand the work of our compassionate Savior in our lives, the more we'll find ourselves responding in compassion to others. Then we'll see the needs and we'll use what's available and we'll watch him multiply that work and change lives. You know, it's interesting. The feeding of the 5,000 illustrates something. It illustrates the 23rd Psalm. A shepherd doesn't just raise sheep. A shepherd lives with the sheep. I want to end this morning showing you the compassion of the shepherd from the 23rd Psalm. This will be on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The people didn't want. The shepherd fed them and they were satisfied. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The shepherd fed his sheep while they were still, while they they sat on green grass. He leads me beside still waters. The shepherd was near the Sea of Galilee. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd taught them the truth. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. The shepherd was physically with his sheep. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The shepherd fed his sheep bread and fish from his abundant power. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The feeding of the 5,000 is but a glimpse of the great banquet that will one day take place in heaven while our shepherd sits at the head of the table. Bow with me in prayer. Jesus, our great shepherd, thank you for your mighty work of compassion. Thank you that when you hung on that cross, you spoke the most compassionate words ever. Father, forgive them. Thank you for the compassion you show us every single day. Thank you that you saw the need. You used what was available and you multiplied the resources. Do that same thing with us. Help us see the need. Help us use whatever resources you've given us and help us trust you with the results. Teach us to be compassionate. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.